listeners, Kathy Lawless, Life Story Curator. I'm all about capturing and curating career and life stories as a meaningful way to celebrate a milestone moment like a big old birthday, anniversary, retirement, or graduation. And I'm at my best when curating photo books that move your memories from the basement or your phone or your computer to the coffee table, giving you and your family and friends access to these treasured memories for years to come. I also love curating and capturing life and career stories through this podcast series, How Did I Get Here? It's a series of interviews designed for people just starting out in their careers, people in transition or possibly feeling stuck, and giving them access to the stories of people who have been there, done that, so that they might be inspired with some new ideas or maybe just comforted knowing they are not alone, that everybody starts somewhere and everybody goes through times of transition and times when they feel stuck. Today, I'm very excited to be interviewing Michelle Hoagland. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And Michelle has a very interesting uh, company or project, I guess, that she started. She is the visionary behind the boob report. And <laughs> yes, I said boob. Um, and so it'll be very interesting to not only find out what the boob report is from you, Michelle, but also how did I get here? Exactly. Before we jump into today's interview, let's hear a word from our sponsor, Life Story Curator, a testimonial from one of their very happy clients. Oh my gosh, if you're considering hiring Kathy Lawless to do a book for you, you need to do it. My name is Ann DuPont and I'm Chair Emeritus of a nonprofit that's been based in Denver called The Leadership Investment. And after 20 plus years of being in business, we decided we had to celebrate and commemorate all of the great work we'd done and the impact we'd had in the Denver community. So we hired Kathy Lawless and Life Story Curator to help us do exactly that. And I've got to tell you, the result was, has been simply outstanding. And we went into it with a little bit of fear, thinking, is this going to be too much work? Can we really take this on? And Kathy just made it absolutely painless. She was fun. She was creative. She broke the work into bite-sized pieces that we could really take hold of and get done. And she just made it a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughter along the way. And the feedback from the members of our organization, from the staff, the community, the volunteers, has simply been outstanding. It has really done quite a remarkable job of capturing the essence of everything we achieved over 20 years. So if you're thinking about doing something like this for your organization, for your career, for your family, I would highly recommend it. And I would absolutely say that Kathy Lawless and Life Story Curator is the person for you. Before we get into what it means to be the visionary of the Boob Report, uh, Michelle, tell us if you would, uh, where you grew up, what part of the country or the world, and a little bit about your family dynamics, you know, where you were in the birth order, and how you think both those things, kind of where you grew up, but also your birth order, helped shape you as an individual. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's a loaded question there. I am originally from Dallas, Texas. I live in Colorado now, but I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas, and I am the oldest and only girl of four siblings. So, um, all brothers, <laughs> yes, all brothers. I grew up with all boys, and uh, it was very interesting sharing a bathroom with three boys. But 
that's a whole nother show. Uh, it, and that's back know, when there was houses that just had like one bathroom, right? It right? wasn't like everybody has their own bathroom like today. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, it's funny. I um, was always the caretaker growing up because that was the role that my mother played. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She was number 10 out of 14 in oh uh, her family. Yes, I come from a very large family. And she was the caretaker in her family. She took care of her younger siblings as well as her older siblings. And I think that that was just in my DNA. And it was something that I was always very protective of my brothers. I was very protective of my friends. Um, I was the person who typical Texas, you know, Southern woman grew up thinking I'm going to get married and have kids. That's pretty much what I'm going to do. I didn't have any aspirations to be the owner of my own company or anything like that. My, my main goal in life was to get married and have children. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, and you know what, that's, you know, everybody's got those different ideas, right? About, and you know, other people grow up with, oh no, I'm not going to have kids. I remember I grew up thinking I was never really around kids and just, I didn't, I couldn't relate to kids and, you know, big surprise. I I don't have any kids. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, and it's, you know, it's one of those things I grew up around kids, obviously with such a huge Mm -hmm. family, there were 47 grandchildren. So I was babysitting, spending time with cousins. You know, that's how I made my money after school was babysitting there. wasn't a, a child or a baby I didn't meet that I didn't want to hold and nurture and, you know, what have you. So I really had the maternal instincts in overdrive when, uh, when I was growing up. I mean, that's just pretty much all I wanted to do. So for me to end up where I am now with uh, the story that I have now is, is completely opposite of what I thought, you know, I was going to grow into but you know that's what they say life happens when you're busy making plans so (laughs) yeah absolutely so what uh, as a young person then what activities when you weren't like caretaking were you into sports or music or theater oh yeah I was in I played a lot of sports uh, volleyball softball basketball ran track did all of that uh was I was on the dance squad in high school. I was a cheerleader. Um, I was I was always involved. The I think the turning point for me, as far as getting out into the workforce, was I was 15 years old. I think 14, 15 years old, and we were out at the mall, and I really wanted an outfit. And my dad was like, "I'm not paying for that. That's too much money. I'm not paying for that." So the next day, I went out and got a job. at the grocery store. And I have literally been working ever since. My mom said that from that point on, they never bought my toiletries anymore or my makeup. I pretty much took care of everything myself going forward from there. So I think that, I don't know if a light switch went off or what happened, but um, it just came to me that if I want something, I'm going to have to work for it. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Which is a little different than you were saying. I just wanted to get a husband and be a mom and yes oh <laughs> that just changed the whole dynamic of me growing up just like I said you know when you're busy making plans then life happens so yeah, yeah that yeah. independence streak was like oh I want to be uh, reliable on myself mm-hmm. all right well shifting gears a little bit then uh, are you an introvert extrovert or an ambivert the 
Oh gosh. I, I think I'm a little bit of everything. I mean, I, I don't meet a stranger. I am very open and extroverted. I love meeting new people, but I really do enjoy my downtime as well. I am just as happy sitting in front of uh, Netflix with a glass of wine and the remote all on my own. So I, I think I'm a little bit of everything. It's hilarious because my husband is the exact same way. And the funny thing is, is that we're usually really in tune with that. If we're out in a group, him and I can work a room like nobody's business, but when we're done, we're done and we're ready to go home. Yeah. And then you're both recharging together. Yes. What's well, good that you're in sync on that. Cause if you were out of sync. <laughs> yes. Yes. And one of you at home going, I don't want to go out. And the other one's like, no, no, I want to go. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it does make every now and then it makes for some in interesting conversation. We love to go out dancing. We go boot scooting every Wednesday night. It's actually how we met years ago. And so there are sometimes on, you know, certain nights we're like, do you want to go dancing? I don't know. Do you want to go dancing? I'm like, I'm leaving it up to you. I'm, I can go, I'm Switzerland. I can go either way. Go either so, way. Yeah. yeah. Well, and on a Wednesday, that's kind of an odd night for a kind of yeah. a date night, you know, to be going out on a Wednesday to do boot scooting. But uh, of course for me, I have to be dance ready, which means maybe two beers in. Yes. To, you know, so, you know, but I, that is not a surprise on a Wednesday for me either. Right. <laughs> known to happen. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to shift gears a little bit here on the fun scale, uh, scale of one to five, one being couch to couch potato and five being the life of the party. Where do you put yourself? Oh, I think a solid 3.5. <laughs> right in the middle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So back to that, you're a little bit of everything in terms of extrovert, introvert, yes. just you can do it all. It depends on the situation. Well, you know, and I think oddly enough, sometimes with women, we feel an obligation to be more extroverted, to be at the party, to be, you know, a hostess or something like that. And as I've gotten older, I've realized, you know what, if I'm not feeling it, it's okay to say, yeah, I'm just going to stay home. I'm just going to hang out here and recharge. And when I'm able to do that, I'm a much better person the next day for whatever event or work project or anything that's coming up. So yeah. I've learned to give myself a little bit of grace on that point. Yeah. I think, I, I do think when we're younger too, there's the, you got to be out, you got to be seen. Uh, there's the whole FOMO thing. Right. But I, I know as I've gotten older, I'm like, you know, I don't need to really No, Friday nights are very different than they used to be where it used to be. If you didn't have plans for Friday night, what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, on the uh, we're going to shift over to the risk scale now on a scale of one to five, one being low risk taker, five being high risk taker. Where do you put yourself on taking risks? Oh, I'm going to go with a 2.5 on that 2. one. 2.5. We got to have point fives on both of these. Yes. I love it. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm pretty much feet on the ground, you know, very cautious, careful, like to plan things. Um, whereas my husband is the exact opposite. He's a commercial pilot. He's a hang gliding pilot. He loves riding motorcycles, anything that has any sort of speed to it, kite surfing, all of that. I am the person that sits on the beach with a cocktail and waits for him to come in from the kite surfing or, you know, at the end of the runway, taking pictures when he's coming in to land. So we're sort of a good fit in that way. I'm, I, I keep telling myself that I'm going to try and overcome some of my fear, maybe go through hypnotherapy, but just haven't taken that step yet. 
<laughs> so there's a desire to overcome it, but it really hasn't turned into action yet. <laughs> yes, yes, that's the 2.5. Okay. Well, it's funny when you when uh, I was thinking about you for this particular question, I was thinking because because of what you've started mm-hmm. and really putting yourself out there. I felt like you were going to say that you were a five on the risk meter, but it, maybe it really. Well, you know, interestingly enough, doing what I do now, that never really seemed like a risk to me. It was more of a passion project and something that I love doing. So I don't consider it work and Mm -hmm. it's just something that I enjoy. So when I'm telling people about it, I'm very excited. So I don't feel like I'm selling, if you will, or, you know, it just doesn't feel like a job. It just feels like a calling or a passion project. Yeah. Well, and when we first met, you know, you, you explained to me that it's kind of started as a, a little bit of a joke, right? And mm-hmm. a little bit of a poking fun at a situation, um, it, but also providing an update. And so, so I guess let, let's get into it then. Let's talk a little bit about what you do today and what it means to be the visionary of the boob report. And then we'll get into how did I get here? Well, I launched the Boob Report, which is a website resource for women who have been diagnosed with breast cancer. I am personally a five, little over five-year survivor of breast cancer. And I know when I, thank you very much, thank you. When I received my diagnosis, uh, my husband and I own, and we still own a marketing agency. And our foundation of our agency was helping our clients through Google, being found in a Google search. So that's what I did for work. And so I started Googling information, Googling the doctors, you know, Googling this and that. And I just, there's so much information out there, but it's hard to weed through. And when you've received one of the most devastating calls you could ever get in your life, being able to process looking through all of that is just incredibly overwhelming. So I decided to create this website to help women make it a little easier for them to get through all of that information, feel like they're gaining knowledge so that they can feel comfortable in their decisions going forward, working with their doctors, get their questions answered, feel, I've always felt like knowledge is power. So if I can provide that for women, it just, like I said, it's not a job for me. It's, it's something that I'm holding their hand and virtually and helping them get through this really difficult journey that they're about to go through. Yeah. Well, and you're doing it with, with a sense of humor. Yes. And with grace, that's just your personality and what you bring to it. I I went out and looked at your site and it's very, I mean, it's very professional. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't want to downplay the seriousness of what your, of the information that you're providing, but also I think a little levity um, in the name that you've selected, (laughs) you know, probably goes a long way to, you know, how can you kind of keep, you know, there's got to be something that's got to be a little bit lighter in the world. Right. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's, sort of a twist on something that I, you know, I came up with the name really as a joke, a little, you know, sense of humor, uh, when I first got my diagnosis and, and that was the basis of how this whole thing got started. It, that was not my intention originally. It was just supposed to be a private Facebook group to keep friends and family updated on doctor's appointments and surgeries and things like that. And it just grew from there. Yeah. And then when you realize the real gap in information and how you could add value in that way, 
you know, you come up with the plan, but then what's the name? And then, well, yeah. <laughs> why not call it what you've been calling it, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's just call that. I, I, I bought the domain name. I trademarked it. You know, I got a lawyer that specialized in trademarking and I, I got it trademarked and it was, uh, it just took off from there. I, I literally had two friends that were part of the group that hadn't had mammograms. And because of going through the experience with me, you know, virtually online through this group, it prompted them to go get their mammograms and they both got diagnosed and they're fine. They're doing great in remission. But my husband was like, babe, you got to do something with this. This, this is something that's meant to be. So, yeah. yeah, because it's, it's an awareness and it's a call to action sometimes, mm -hmm. right? You don't want to do these things. And yet, uh, but the earlier that you can get those, you know, the diagnosis or a screening or anything like that, we all hear is what makes it much more easier to, um, to counter and, Absolutely. Uh, and, um, and counter, you know, uh, and well, and for, for me, it was, you know, there's tons of organizations out there. There's so many great organizations that are all about, you know, preventative, go get your screenings, go get your mammograms, do this, do that. So what my twist on it was, is that I'm getting the women after they've gotten their diagnosis. So I'm here to sort of catch them as they fall into this, not knowing where to go from there. You know, once they hang that phone up or they leave the doctor's office, oh my gosh, what do I do now? So I just, I know that I don't consider myself a type A personality, but I do like things to be planned out. I like for things to happen in a certain order. I'm not rigid about it, but it just makes me feel a little more comfortable. And getting that call is just chaos from there on out. You know, you, you have a nurse navigator, if you're lucky enough to get assigned one to help you go through the process of scheduling surgeries and, you know, appointments and things like that. But there's always this little bit of a waiting game and, okay, well, let's wait for this test result to come back and let's look at this. And you can just feel out of control. So having the website as a resource for women to go on to, you know, not only do we talk about nutrition and exercise and we have support groups listed in there and stuff, we're also adding to it every day. We're going to be adding the best place to get a wig if you're going through chemo, um, you know, best place to go get fitted for a bra, because after you have a bilateral mastectomy, you're not the same in the chest area. So you really need to go get fitted to have something that's comfortable. So these are just steps that a lot of people don't think about why there should be physical therapy after surgery to help, you know, your body heal a little quicker and get rid of that scar tissue. Wow. Wow. Well, obviously not something you plan for. So you kind of, my segue into my next question is kind of silly. Cause usually I go back to junior high and high school. <laughs> is this something that you wanted to be when you grew up? And it was like, uh, no, you would have never wanted to dream of the path that ended up happening. So tell us a little bit, if you would back when you were younger, after you got that independent streak, what uh, did you have different career aspirations then? And what you, instead of just being a, a you know, stay home mom or a wife or whatever, you're like, no, I'm going to be an ex. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I ended up going to college. Um, I didn't graduate in four years. I it took me a little bit longer because I didn't, my, my family couldn't afford to pay for college. And I, 
I total honesty, I didn't have the grades to get any sort of, you know, academic scholarship or anything like that. So I worked my way through school and it took me a little bit longer to get there. If I didn't have the money to go that semester, I didn't go. So, you know, and if I wanted to go the next semester, maybe I'd pick up a little side hustle to get some more money in the bank, but I got my degree in sociology and I worked in mostly office settings. I, since I'm pretty organized and I like to make sure that everything's running smoothly, I started a career as an office coordinator, office manager, you know, executive assistant to the head honcho for the office, basically making sure everything was running smoothly. And I made the decision to leave Texas because I just felt like I had pretty much accomplished everything I wanted to there. I didn't feel like I was really going anywhere further. And I always wanted to be somewhere where there was a change of seasons and closer to the mountains. So I just made the decision one day, I'm going to move to Denver, Colorado. And I set things in motion over that next year to move up to Colorado. I didn't know a soul. I knew nobody here. I was literally moving up here by myself. And it, well, we, we got to go back and revisit that risk meter rating of 2.5 because getting up and doing exactly what you did would put you at a five level, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, my friends were pretty blown away in Texas. This was not something they would have ever imagined for me. And oddly enough, a couple of them were like, I give it a year. I give it a year and she'll be back. Mm -hmm. And let's see this summer, it'll be 22 years that I've been here in Colorado. So I'm not going to lie. The first year was hard and I did give myself a year. I said, all right, if it, I'm going to give myself a year, I can do anything for a year. And if it doesn't work, I can always go back. You know, I can go back to Texas or I can go someplace else. Fell in love with the state, uh, fell in love, you know, made some friends that I still have to this day, you know, 20 years, 20 plus years later and met my husband here. So it was, it was a really good move for me. And, uh, I oddly enough became a mom, not in the traditional way. I became a mom by meeting my husband and marrying him and he brought a son and daughter in with him. So it was just add water, instant family. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, again, you know, that whole life happens. So, uh, they are the light of my life. I love them. I, my husband and I've been together 17 years and I met them when our daughter had just turned five years old and our son was six he was six. So yeah, it, um, it was, it was interesting. It, you know, I just, I had all these aspirations of, you know, having a baby and doing this and doing that. And it was just like, all of a sudden, well, here you go. Boom. You got what you wish for, just not exactly in the way you wished for it. So, yeah. yeah. So two big experiences in your life that changed kind of how you looked at being who you were going to be in terms right. of a mom and a wife. And uh, it didn't, like you said, I love that. You summed it up perfectly <laughs> that life happens when you're making plans. <laughs> exactly. It exactly does. So yeah. And it just, um, it was funny because I was still, you know, doing the office coordinator thing, running offices and, and things like that. And I met my husband and the company I was working for at the time downsized. So I was 
let go with a severance package. And instead of going back to work right away, I took about four months off because it was still in the beginning of the relationship with my husband and spent that time really developing a relationship with our kids because I knew that, you know, we were going to be together forever. So I wanted to take that time and really, really develop a bond with our son and daughter. And I, I, really did enjoy that time. I do not regret it whatsoever. It was, when else was I going to get an opportunity like that? You know, I had a severance package, so I was able to do just fine. And I set it up where I started a new job right when that severance package ended. So, so yeah, that was, that was a gift I gave to myself to really form that bond with our son and daughter, and then actually, you know, really be able to spend a lot of time with my husband at that time as well. Yeah. Yeah. So really an investment in the, the, the personal side of your life, yes. not just the professional, which sometimes, you know, a, a downsizing in a layoff like that can be really traumatic, right? It really messes with that ego and that inner critic. And then when am I going to find something else? Did you have any of that going on or were you still, were you pretty confident that, I'll just find something else. And, and right now here are my priorities. So I don't even, you know, there was no worry in there at all or no concern. No, not really. I, I, to be quite honest, I was miserable at that other job and I was looking anyway, Mm -hmm. but I just had a feeling and knew what was happening with the company. So I was pretty positive. I was going to be let go and get a severance package. So I was like, just hold on a little bit longer, just hold on. And then you can take, cause I had discussed that, you know, with my now husband, we were just dating at the time um, that I said, if I, if I get let go, I'm going to take some time off and just really recharge. Cause I'd never, ever in my life, knock on wood, had trouble finding a job. With what I do, people are always, you know, they need a good office coordinator, a good executive assistant. So I, I was never going to have trouble finding one. And I didn't. I mean, it's, I, I interviewed maybe at two different companies and got hired immediately. So it wasn't anything I was ever concerned with. So you're not worried about getting the next thing. And then you probably are also looking at you were, had never probably had the opportunity to take four months off before. Yeah, because oh, that, that's, I mean, that, that's kind of too, too, yes, full, right? I mean, exactly. That's- well, remember, I got that job when I was 15 as a checker at a grocery store, and I got let go from the company I worked with when I was 38. So in between that time, I had never not been without a job. Yeah. I had always, and in some cases I had two or three jobs at the same time. So that four month break was huge for me and I, I enjoyed it. I, you know, I took advantage of it. I mean, we went camping, we did some traveling because my husband worked for the airlines at the time and it was, it was awesome. Yeah. And was something you get to take many times and then, but many times when people are laid off, they don't take that time to play. Or mm-hmm. to relax or to recognize the decompression that's needed, um, you know, to kind of re- reset and level set. Uh, I was I went through a layoff as well. And in the beginning, I told myself, I'm going to take the end of the year it was from August to the end of the year and just play and not worry about anything. Right. And it was really freeing. And that, but then when the January hit and the clock in my head started ticking, uh, I, I didn't quite handle it very well, which is one of the reasons I do the podcast is because I know when you're in that, um, 
transition, you know, and I hated that term transition, by the way, I always like to say I was a free agent. I thought that was just a positive term. I like Um, that. I'm a free agent. I'm exploring my options. I don't know that I really believed it, but I thought if I kept saying it enough, I would believe it. (laughs) (laughs) But I know there's a lot more to your story here. So tell us then, okay, so you took the four months. Mm -hmm. When did you finish the degree then? Or how did marketing is in here somewhere? So how does the marketing come in? Well, it's funny. I, I had already finished my degree in sociology. I mean, marketing was not anything that was ever on, you know, the horizon for me. It wasn't anything that I had actually thought about. And when I did uh, go back to work, I went back uh, to work for a company that was handling the whole Stapleton redevelopment project here in Colorado. And I got hired in the marketing department as an assistant. And so that's where I learned. I mean, it was like a crash course in marketing. And I loved it because the people that I worked with were so creative and this was a project that was going on and I was very involved in it. The timing, unfortunately, was not good for me because my husband wasn't my husband yet, but him and the kids lived up in the mountains. So for me to leave the house up there and drive down to my job in Denver, it was an hour and 20 minute drive each way. Oh and my I, gosh. Yeah. I did that for over a year and I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And so we tried, and this was bearing in mind 16 years ago. So really working from home was not something that a lot of companies really thought about. And so I ended up leaving that company and I just started working in the area. I worked at the schools. I worked for a real estate agency, just sort of doing things in marketing until I could figure out what I really wanted to be when I grew up. And my husband was like, you're doing all of these things for other people. You're setting up Facebook pages. You're, you're helping them with their slogans and their, whatever they need to market themselves. He goes, why aren't you getting paid for this? Cause I was just doing it for fun to help out my friends. And that's where it started evolving into doing more marketing. And then my husband actually got his commercial pilots license and is doesn't work for an airline now. He actually got hired as a consultant for another company that does online marketing for within the healthcare industry. So that's how we sort of ended up where we were. I mean, the the path that we were originally going on just got all twisted around. And then all of a sudden he's doing this for a company. I'm doing this on the side for us. And then we looked at each other one day and we're like, why don't we just start our own company? Why why are we working for other people? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's where it went from there. It was terrifying, you know, but he still kept doing since he was a 1099 employee, uh, not even an employee, he was a contractor. There were there were no, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for conflict of interest, because he wasn't actually an employee of this other company, he was just a consultant. So we were able to really evolve and start this marketing agency. And we worked with pretty much anybody at the time, you know, when I'm not sure if you have done this in the past, but a lot of times when someone start first starts their company, depending on what it is, they'll take on any client. They don't care if you've got money and you're willing to give it to me. Yes, I'll work with you. And we realized that we really needed to niche down what our target client would be. 
And about that time is when I got my diagnosis of breast cancer. And when I started Googling and doing all this other stuff, wheels started turning. We should niche down into the healthcare industry because that is the number one searched industry online. So that's the direction that our marketing agency went. Oh, mm-hmm. as well as then your other. Uh, well, the, the boob report didn't really come about until a year or so later, because I was, you know, still working with my husband when I could during my recovery. And then we, um, I, you know, was slowly doing things. I, I, I like to remind people when you first start something, there's no such thing as overnight success there. There's just no such thing whatsoever. Um, and most small businesses fail within the first five years. Now we are very, very lucky. My husband and I have been in business since 2014. You know, we're not huge. We're a boutique marketing agency and we've stayed that way on purpose because we can work from anywhere. And since we can do that, we like to travel a lot. I don't want to be working 24 seven. I don't, you know, I don't have aspirations of taking over the world with this marketing agency. I want to pay my bills, put some money in my retirement fund, help my kids out with college and travel. That's what I want to do. And, you know, there's a lot of people that, that that's what they want. They don't, you know, the ones that want to take over the world, more power to them. That's where they get their energy and, you know, their motivation and all of that. That is fantastic. But I think a lot of people feel like if they're not on that path, they feel like they're a failure. And that's, yeah, that's not true. It, it tends to be a measure of success, but yeah. it's a, it's an external measure of success that I think we, it's easy to get caught up in sometimes. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I, I love your point about, you know, finding your niche. Cause I, I will say that's, you're, you're spot on with the entrepreneurial when you step in to the, you know, small business world, there is that thought, well, you just need to take every client and you need to be everything to everybody. And, um, but if, you know, it, but there's also really great data out there that shows the more you niche, the more successful you are, you know, and that people, then your word of mouth and referrals and all of that stuff really just seems to grow. And you really, you know, you maintain that focus. So, oh yeah, absolutely. It, and I, you know, I, I think for me, the whole of how you get to where you are. It's, it's, I I have a friend that she, she was in the insurance industry and she was doing really well, but she wasn't happy. She wanted to do her own business. And so she ended up leaving that. And she had created this whole concept of how to really launch her other business, which was marketing and coaching for entrepreneurs. And Failure has always been considered a a dirty word, if you would, you know, um, going through and being an entrepreneur. And she literally wrote a book, Fortune is in the Failure. You have Mm. to fail to be successful. You have to. And you take those failures and you use them as lessons. And okay, well, we're not going to make that mistake again. Let's move it over here and do this correctly. Yeah. So that's a really huge motivating kicking the butt, you know what I mean? To really move yes. into something so different, What because you might've thought it was so right to do what you were doing. And then the failure is what really gives you that eye-opening experience exactly. to get you in a different place. So yeah, it can be so different. So yeah, it's, it's you know, and, and I think that 
and I, and I say this through the, the boob report with going through breast cancer, every woman's journey is different. Nobody goes through this the same. And I feel that way about being an entrepreneur and owning your own business as well. No person's, you know, path going through that is the same. You have to figure out what works for you, you know, and, and I, I highly recommend getting a business coach. I had one. Um, and although she wasn't really the right fit for me to, you know, really help me with what I was doing, she was more niched towards other business coaches, training them how to start their own consulting, you know, coaching practices. Um, I did learn from her and it, I think that to be successful, you, you do need a mentor or a coach, or, you know, even if it's someone that you work with, you guys playing ideas off of each other, constantly being creative, having that once a week, 30 minute meeting to just toss ideas around. No idea is too crazy. You know, how could we make this work in our business? How could we turn this into something? And, and surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded, you know, it, I, I'm not, I can't remember who said this. You may know you are like the five people you surround yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a book on that, right? It's, yeah. And I, I totally five. messed it up, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I really had to make the decision to not necessarily cut people out of my life, but to really focus on the people that I enjoyed being with that I got something from the relationship intellectually, you know, uh, good times, travel. Uh, we were able to help each other in knowledge and with our businesses. And I think that that just really energizes you and get, keeps you motivated to keep your business going and to be the success in your eyes that you want to be, whether it's, you know, I'm a, I'm a medium-sized business. I do great. I'm able to employ some people. We're all happy. This is, this is what I want or whether you want to be Richard Branson or, you know, whoever, yeah. but it's, it's taking those steps to surround yourself with the right people and the right attitude, I think is, is key. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so, um, it's so different. You know, I made the big transition from corporate to, you know, solopreneur. And I had totally had to do that. I mean, I'd been in business for, you know, 25 years, but I didn't know how to start a small business or run a small business. So I, I did hire a coach to launch and she got me launched in 90 days. Mm -hmm. I had in my head it, well, it takes a year to launch a business that I would have taken a year and yeah. I still wouldn't have been as far along probably as where she got me in the mm -hmm. 90 days. So I'm a big believer in, um, how do you outsource the things that you, uh, either don't get energy from, don't have the expertise in, or you shouldn't be spending your time on. And it's so easy. I think a lot of times is that solopreneur is that you feel like you got to do it all, yeah. whether you like it or not. Exactly. Um, you don't think you can afford it many times, but, but it's also, you know, you're, you're keying in on, you've got to find your, your support mechanism. So after I had the coach and I got launched and there was a time that I had her support me even further. And then I found networking groups. And then I found a peer advisory board which are two very different things, right? The networking is about referrals and how to get yourself out there and the sales arm. But the peer advisory is about how do I keep working on my business and how do I, when I come up with those ideas that I don't get caught up in the squirrel, you know, trap where it's the next shiny object all the time and you never get anything done, right? And you just keep right. trying things. And next thing you know, you're like, well, have I spent any time on sales? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Do I have any new clients to put these new things on or am I just building new things that... <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I think that, and that's it. Exactly. I had, uh, actually it was funny, an actual business coach that told me this at some point you have to stop learning and start acting. You know, you've got to start putting everything that you learned into practice and seeing the success come back from that. Cause I, you know, I'll be honest, I, I go to some of these, uh, events you know, two day events, it's the women's conference and this and that, and I'll go and they'll have speakers there and coaches and things like that. And it's great, but I'll see people there and they go to these all the time, constantly over and over and over again. And they're in the exact same spot in their business when they go. And it's like, instead of going, why don't you stay in the office and actually implement what you've learned so that you can grow and bring more people on and elevate yourself and move up that way. But, you know, for some people, that's, that's just what they want. That's their comfort zone. That's where they want to stay. So, and and that's why they started a small business was that they had the freedom to make those decisions and do those things. And yet they're kind of maybe stuck in a little bit of a cycle themselves on learning and growth and uh, changing and what's what what should I be doing next versus well no you're already doing it you just maybe need to keep doing more of it (laughs) yeah well and you know I've reached that point uh and it's so funny I I uh, I follow Simon Sinek a lot I really enjoy him Mm -hmm. and uh it's we this one thing keeps coming back into my world of what he says is people don't care what you do. They care why you do it. And if you bring that passion into what you do, you're going to find a lot more clients, you know, people to work with. And that's why I don't consider, I love doing the marketing agency with my husband. We have some amazing clients that I truly enjoy working with them, but doing the boob report and setting that up and being able to help other women is so fulfilling to me. I mean, my, my whole thing is if I can help one woman, I've achieved my goal. If I can help more than one woman, that's a dream come true. Yeah. So it's not work to me. I, I just, I get such fulfillment out of knowing that I'm able to help people. And I think that's where that whole compassion maternal, you know, from when I was younger and I wanted to take care of any, everybody, I think I've evolved that into what I'm doing now with yeah, the boob report. Yeah. Well, and you're taking a, um, a skill that you're, uh, or an expertise, I guess, and a talent and your gift with marketing and then applying it to something, like you said, it was your, your, your pet or passion project. Mm-hmm. And now it's just with that, why that's on fire, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, so take, you just take it up a level. And so you're right. That, that whole notion about you never work a day in your life. If you're doing what you love mm-hmm. and you're doing two things you love, it sounds like, and you get to work with your husband whom you love. So yeah, it sounds like you are living the dream, my friend. <laughs> it is. It's pretty funny when people find out that we, you know, run a business together, we live together. I mean, there's some days that we're together, take, you know, the past two years <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. going on that we were together 24 seven. And, uh, we've learned how to, my husband has his spot out in the other side of the house. That's his spot. He likes windows and he likes to be able to look outside and his office is literally his laptop. That's, you know, I, it's a guy thing. He doesn't have a lot of paperwork. He doesn't have all this other stuff. I, as you can see, have to have, you know, well, people can't see this podcast, but you can see it. I have to have my office 
You know, I have to have my things hanging on the wall, my desk that I can rise up and stand or lower and sit. I need my spot. So, and I can close the door so that we, you know, feel like we're in our own offices and we can separate a little bit that way. But, you know, it's been challenging. We have our moments and we had to agree that, you know, when we go to bed at night, once we go into our bedroom, there's no work. There's no work talk. There's no laying in bed. Did you call Dr. So-and-so or did you take care of this? Or, you know, what about that Excel spreadsheet? None of that in when we're in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Work in your spots. And then when you come together, there's workspaces and then there's non, there's family spaces. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Those boundaries. So, well, Michelle, this has been delightful. Thank you for sharing all of the uh, different projects you have going on in the world (laughs) and how you're making a difference for these women. It's it's really amazing. I introduced you to a friend of mine because once I heard what you did, I mean, I just knew she could benefit from you and you knowing her and the whole deal. So, yes. but I'm a little bit of a connector in that way. So, and I'm so grateful for that. That's she's amazing. Well, yeah. awesome. I can't wait to hear her podcast. Um, and I probably should introduce you as a fellow podcaster that you have a podcast <laughs> too. So, uh, but we do probably need to start wrapping up. So I have two wrap up questions. Okay. The first is um, when you look back on your life and your career, uh, what do you think has served you best? And that can be maybe a characteristic, a discipline, a strength, or maybe a habit that you think really served you best. I, I think that I, my ability to try and stay positive, and I'm going to use the word try. I've always been a pretty positive person. I have my moments, but I I try to look at things, okay, this is a a really crappy experience right now, but I know it's going to get better. If I just keep moving forward, it's going to get better. And being able to recognize when I'm having a hard time and accept that and figure out how I need to change things to move forward. So just focusing on things that I can fix and not stressing about things that I can't is something that's served me well. Yeah, that's a great lesson. And regardless, if I think you've had a health issue, I think Mm -hmm. that's a great lesson learned. Um, But I love that how you said I try to stay positive, because, you know, some people like I, one woman, I said, uh, she said she felt like she'd been called Pollyanna, because she Mm -hmm. had just been so positive. But she's like, this is really just my nature. Yeah, Uh, you know, and sometimes it is and then but sometimes you get thrown such a curveball that you know, you it takes more effort than to be your normal positive self, right? Well, when I got my diagnosis, you know, my mom, my family is still back in Texas and I would be talking to my mom on the phone and she's like, I'm so proud of you. You, you're just, you're taking this so well. And I'm like, mom, literally there is a huge part of me that wants to curl up in a ball on the floor and cry my eyes out. I, you know, I really want to do that, but it's not going to serve me. It's not going to change where I am. So I'm just going to take a deep breath and move forward. And that's why I say try is I think every day we're trying to be better at something. We're trying to get through that day. And there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you keep trying, you keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. But people do need to know there's another element sometimes, right? That, you know, that you are trying hard and you, you know, it's like, I'm keeping it together. I'm keeping it together. <laughs> together. Mm-hmm. And then, but someone will say something and open that crack that little window and then you just lose it sometimes. Yeah. And you didn't want right. it because you wanted to keep it together. 
Um, and, and that can be, you know, uh, even at, like a, a part of this podcast, it could be because you're in transition and it's just, you, you know, you're excited about the next career opportunity and yet everything you turn around is crickets and no one gets back to you and it just feels like it's an empty hole. And yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it can be kind of exactly. Cool. Okay. Well, the last wrap up question then okay. is any words of wisdom that were impactful for you? And this could be maybe a quote that you heard or maybe a quote that you use, but just some words of wisdom that, um, you know, really made a difference for you. You know, I think for me, I absolutely love Brene Brown. I follow her quite a bit. I think she's an amazing woman and she's done a lot of things with, um, you know, being confident in yourself and vulnerability and being able to admit when you're vulnerable. And one of the quotes that she has is you either walk inside, I I gotta look, yeah, you either walk inside your story and own it, or you stand outside your story and hustle for your worthiness. And I try to own my story every day. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. Of course, I love Brene. She's got, I I think, all her quotes, but even the quotes when she's quoting others just yes. fit so well, but that's just who she brings. And thank goodness she came into all of our lives, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, I actually, on one of my emails, I've got different emails for work and stuff. And that's actually the quote that I have, you know, underneath my signature on my email that I send out to people is that quote. And I can't tell you how many times people have like, love the quote. I love her. Yes, I totally agree with you. So I think it resonates with people. You know, you, you've just, you've got to own who you are and move forward with that. And the people that truly love you and get you are going to be there right with you. Yeah. Well, and it's how you got here, right? I mean, it really fits well with this podcast because, um, you know, you are the, the makeup of all of these experiences that happened. And so often, you know, you think you're the only one or I, they must have it easier or this must have happened. And then when you hear people's stories and you hear some of the, you know, the challenges that they've gone through and some of the paths that they've taken or that they didn't have a plan, you finally start going, wait a minute, it is, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. And you're right. I just need to be bold and claim what has been me over this time, but then also be bold and say, how can I maybe create my story going forward that's in a positive way you know right. who are those five people that you know can help me shape and influence this even though like you said sometimes the best laid plans are not what uh, the universe has in store for us yeah but sometimes it's even better what the universe has in store for us we just haven't thought about it in that uh, in that context so exactly exactly anyway well thank you michelle for sharing your story and for creating the boob report and for helping these women. I, it's just, uh, I, I can't even imagine what that call would be like. Um, and so, and I hope I don't have to, but at some point with the statistics, I'm sure I'm going to know more people that have that. And so I now have a resource that I can give them that may make this world uh, or make their journey in this world, maybe a place of a little bit more um, openness, awareness and education for them. So. Thank well, you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I really do. It's like I said, that I just want to be here for women when they, when they need it, when they need the help. Well, you're in, you're in a good spot. So thank you so much. Thanks. All righty. Well, listeners, if you enjoyed today's interview, please subscribe below and you'll be alerted when other interviews are published. 
If you have any questions for me or for Michelle, you can find this interview on my website, lifestorycurator.com. And it's in, uh, I publish it in the blog section. And I'll also publish Michelle's, um, the boob report, the website. And so there's a way that you can get in touch with her should you um, have a need for her, her information, her services and her report and her energy, right? <laughs> so on that note, I guess I'll say stay safe, stay well, and let's keep sharing those stories. Have a great day.